Blog Talk Radio. Smoky Mountain Trader. TV man, how's everything on your end, sir? Man, I tell you what, Vinny, the last hour, hour and a half, it has been jumping, man. It's it's uh it's something, right? I mean anytime you get a, every time you get an update about what's changing and, and, and what's going on, it's it's something completely different. So I know we're gonna dive into that, but what a crazy time it is right now, man. Yeah, that's you know, we just couldn't wait to talk about the comeback at Florida, but we gotta push that aside for all the COVID nineteen concerns, decisions, repercussions, uh, March Madness without fans. Will the SEC tournament go beyond this evening? Uh, San Francisco has. You know, Warriors games to be without fans. It's it's just like you said, changes all the time. Um, it's hard to even keep up with it. Uh, we hadn't even talked about it last time, but just from last week to this week, um, <laughs> the changes, the movement, the perception. You know, it's it's unbelievable. It wasn't even Absolutely. Kentucky last week, was it? It wasn't even in Kentucky. I, I don't believe so. But, you know, now with it being in Lexington and Cynthiana, a couple of cases, a couple of cases here in town, you know, not to get, not to pretend that I'm some expert, but uh, what I have said, I still believe people think, oh, this is just overreaction and it's fear mongering. You know, like when it, when it comes to something like this, when we think of, you know, terrorism and big disasters, all it takes is one time to not be prepared, right? You know, we, in the years since 9-11, we see all these reports of, you know, FBI, CIA, whoever, foiling these terrorist plots. And, and people get kind of numb to it, right? Like, oh, not that big a deal. All it takes is one time. You know, all it takes is one time for, for someone not to do their job, and we've got another 9-11. You know, conversely, with epidemics like this, and people are like, oh, you know, we heard of N1, H1N1, the swine flu, and Ebola was a thing, and this, that, and the other. First off, we had structures in place for those outbreaks, right? We had, you know, medicine that we could prescribe. We had a game plan. From what I am reading, this coronavirus, we don't have anything. The best we can come up with right now is we can test for it, and you should wash your hands. And that's it. So, you know, the people say, I'll say, you know, you know, 
look at the number of people that have died from just the common flu this year. And it's been way more this coronavirus. I'm like, yeah, those people are dying, yet we can still treat the flu. You know, we have a vaccine for it, and it's still this deadly. It's going to get bad. But last little thing, you know, get off my, my soapbox here is I would rather look back in a year's time and say, man, we were ridiculous with all that stuff we did. I would rather do that then in a year's time, shake our heads and say, we probably should have done more. You know, that's a conversation I don't think anybody wants to have. So I understand it seems like panic. It seems like, you know, people are, you know, going off the rails. But when you look around the world and you've got European countries canceling their soccer events, and, you know, we think the March Madness and and we think that's big here – You've got European leagues canceling soccer events. Northern Italy is shut down, right? All these countries, you know, China, places are all on quarantine. This is a serious situation. And I would much rather be in a situation where we are overreacting than underreacting. Overreacting, we can sit back and chuckle about it. Underreacting, that's a lot of, that's a lot of you know, basically that's a lot of dead bodies. So if we can avoid something, I, I like to err on the side of caution. Yeah, and I love what people are saying about the flu and, and the outbreak and, and how, like you said, more people die from the flu. And I'm not saying take coronavirus lightly. I'm no kind of expert either. Um, and better to be safe than sorry. The wash your hands thing, the it's usually more deadly or more harmful to the older ones with previous cases of respiratory trouble or the young ones who don't have an immune system that are built up. There's kind of people in between that have had it and, you know, live to tell about it. Um, definitely take the precaution, but, I, you know, I I do. I don't think, and it could get bad. It could wipe us out, but I don't think it's going to be like Black Plague all over again and a bunch of dead bodies. Um, you do the stuff you should have been doing anyway. Definitely not a vaccine, right. and all that stuff is still in the future. But, uh, and I'm not saying you know they shouldn't cancel games and all that. I'm just definitely use precaution. <laughs> Don't be coughing on people's stuff you should have been doing anyway. But uh, right, right. But, but I think in Wuhan, already yeah. fading out. So you know. I I just I just think even if even if we say two percent fatalities, and as the report, the the the. You know, had the expert on epidemics, you know, testifying in D.C., uh, you know, that's, he, he's estimating and, and these experts are estimating 75 million people to like 100-something million people will be exposed. That's one-third of the population of the United States. And with a 2% fatality rate, that's, that's a couple of million people. That's not enough to wipe us out, but that's a couple of million people 
on something we could have prevented, you know, I, I just think you have to err on the side of caution. What also cripples America is we're, we live in a free society. You know, you can get in your car right now and drive to Seattle, Washington. With, you don't have to check in with anybody. You, you can just go and do your thing. That's part of it as well, is for a, a plague like, not I'm going to say a plague, a, a pandemic like this, America's open society is really susceptible to this kind of thing. So I think you have to err on the side of caution. You have to do as much preventative stuff ahead of time as, as you can. Uh, I know it's going to be yeah. awkward. It's going to be weird uh, having games in front of no no people. I remember the tornado game. I think it was no eight. You know, Kentucky playing Georgia, you know, on uh, Georgia Tech's campus and how bizarre that was. It's going to be surreal to watch, but I think you have to make that – you have to make those decisions. It's not just the NCAA. I would be, you know, a little bit more skeptical if governors of Washington State and Ohio and, and down in Houston – if those governors weren't saying, look, we can't have gatherings more than 250 people. If the NCAA was doing this on their own, okay, I would buy your overreacting. I would buy that. But when you've got governors who, are, who have to take in more than just ball games into account are saying, hey, this is what we need to do. So that's, that's what I'm saying. We have to kind of err on the side of caution. As bizarre and as out of the, the, the box as it seems, you know, uh, I, I think we have to do that. So that's that's where I sit. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird, but you know, it's going to make for a great story to tell your grandchildren. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, and I'm 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 for better safe than sorry. I'm for precaution, but I'm just I'm not leaning panic yet. And I think oh, no, if I'm, precaution I'm not continues to prevail, I think it will. You know, it won't meet the panic. And even if you look back and say, "Oh man, that was weird." But the precaution, the limiting the gathering, for sure. Uh, I was at an assembly this past Saturday. About 1,500 attendants. They were, you know, just disinfecting rails and stairs every 10 minutes and stuff like that. So, yeah, that, you know, try to get out in front of it. We're not prepared. There isn't a vaccine. There isn't a cure. Do all this precautionary stuff. People that have self-quarantined, do that and try to limit it. You know, you've also heard that when the weather gets warmer, people get out and about, that will kind of maybe slow it down where everybody's just not packed in together. Uh, so definitely hope that it will kind of run its course without a lot of damage. But, you know, that could potentially happen. And I'm not saying you're panicking. I'm just talking, you know, um, some are, and, but, you know, it's, no, and panic is not going to do anything. You know, <laughs> but but I, I I think it's it's a very smart play to hey let's not have gatherings of twenty thousand people. Okay, let's let's yeah. not do that. But I I think that's a smart play. I'm not saying that you need to get a hazmat suit and you need to right. hunker down in your bunkers. I'm there's 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 a fine line between stuff like you said we probably should have been doing anyway. Washing your hands, right? <laughs> you know, disinfecting uh, public areas. 
you know, and that's what's killing me is you see these these places, you know, the subway in New York and D.C.'s metro, you know, like, oh, we've got all these precautions. I'm like, what have you been doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, oh, we're, we're wiping this down. Uh, we're going to wipe down the, you know, the, the, the subway cars, you know, three times a week. Well, what was the limit before now? Like, what what were well, you, you – know, before now, what were we doing? So hopefully the things we're seeing uh, can become standard practice, and I think that would be a good step in the right direction. So not being uh, experts on the medical field and all that kind of stuff, that's just my two cents on – Better safe than sorry. Don't panic, but just be smart about what you're doing. And to answer that, what were we doing before? Uh, I'd say you and I both have been on subways in some city somewhere, so we both know the answer was not much. <laughs> We've been, I've been in New York, you know, been to the Atlanta, been to the transit system in Boston, you know, what were we doing? Eh, as far as that, not a lot, to be honest. <laughs> right. Right. So we'll <laughs> so we'll uh, uh so we'll see. But enough enough about that. On to the actual games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um I listened to y'all's post game show Saturday. Uh we had all the fallout from the Tennessee game the previous Tuesday. Uh, Ashton Hagens was a big topic. How did they – I mean, just so much was going on. So much was swirling, so many questions. Um, and then to, to see the bounce back at the end of Saturday, it was that was really something as well. Uh, you watched it. I watched the replay. You watched it as it happened. Um, so I watched it already know what the outcome was going to be. Um, so I know the anxious moments had to be plentiful from one to three in real time. Yeah, so, you know, when you look at the game uh, against Florida, we knew Ashton Higgins wasn't going to play. That That information was put out into the – uh, into the ether uh, about an hour or so, I think, before game time. We kind of knew, okay. So the Cats were basically playing with seven guys. You know, you, I didn't think it was going to be a situation where uh, Cal would try to would burn the red shirt on Deontay, Dante Allen or anything like that. So you knew, hey, this is this is this is who we're who we're rolling with. So a lot of things to unpack from that game. Number one how would the team bounce back from the Tennessee debacle, right? We, we talked about that last week. The Tennessee game was just everything that went wrong went wrong. And, and, and how did Kentucky bounce back? I think we said last week, or I've been saying, that uh, I wanted to see some fights out of Kentucky. It, you know, the, the the loss to Tennessee and how they lost made the Florida game even mean that much more. You know, it didn't mean a lot as far as standings. I wasn't convinced that uh, it would affect our seeding one way or the other, but just mentally, how can this team fight? And then the game started, and 
you know, you can look at the you can look at the stats, you can look at how that game was progressing, and to only be down ten at the half was remarkable because it was just it was just disjointed. I, I think uh, Florida left a lot of points on the table that really could have put Kentucky away. So down by ten points, you come into the second half and just a few minutes in, quickly fouls out. And so that that rotation gets that much shorter. And on top of that, Cal was trying to get ejected. You know, he got the technical foul for uh, getting out of the coach's box. Doug Shouse loved that call. I, I don't recall even that he'd been an issue except for games that he's officiating. So Doug Shouse made the call, and then Cal – was, was giving him another piece of his mind a little while later, thought he was ejected and was and walked off the floor, was was going back and said, No, you know, the first one was just an administrative. You can still you can still you can still coach. Because I, I said to Jason Ince, my coach, I said, Man, Cal just wants to get out of here. You know, it was I think it was like a fourteen, fifteen point lead at that point. It ballooned up to eighteen. And I said on Twitter, just just, you know, make a make a run because, uh, you know, we have seen where games are kind of out of it and the team is down by a lot. They just start playing, and it doesn't necessarily – they don't necessarily win that game, but you can build off some momentum. When you think about uh, – I, I was thinking about uh, – you, you see this happen in the NBA a lot. Do you remember when the Thunder had the Warriors down 3-1 in the playoffs a few years ago when it was still Russ and KD in, in uh, Oklahoma City? And, you know, that, that I guess that fourth game, uh, they were up big, but then Steph and Clay started going, started getting a little hot in that fourth game. And even though the Warriors lost, they were able to ride that momentum and win the series. So I'm thinking, okay, Kentucky just do that. And all of a sudden, they just – Nick got a couple of dunks in, and just everybody that played contributed. Once quickly went out, and I believe it was with about 12 minutes left, every Wildcat that played scored a basket. Not only did every Wildcat that played scored a basket, they all – everybody had at least a rebound. You know, guys had a sit. That's what you want to see. Uh, we knew going into it that Johnny Juzang and Keon Brooks Jr. were going to have to play minutes. Johnny Juzang, 33 points. Or, I'm sorry, 33 minutes and 10 points. Keon Brooks, 10 points, three rebounds. Nate Sestina, 26 minutes, nine, re- nine points, six rebounds. Those three guys combined for 29 points. Their season high. And we needed every bit of it. Uh, on the flip side of that, behind every great comeback, like we saw on Tuesday, the other team has to help you out a lot, right? You know, Tennessee played well on that Tuesday night game, but Kentucky stopped, you know, stopped executing. And Florida, the same thing. They just couldn't turn the tide. And, you know, you've got to give all the credit to Cal, to the players. They dug deep, a place I didn't know they could – they could dig, you know, and and won that game, and and that's the kind of win that can you can springboard to other things. 
For sure, for sure. And you were you're exactly right about it takes two. It's a little bit of both. You always say that one team win, did another team lose. Kentucky did click <laughs> amazingly after quickly went out. And Florida did kind of fall apart. And there was some stuff, even when Florida was winning, like you said, uh, and just brief moments, it was that Keontae Johnson, he broke somebody's ankles. I don't know if it's Brooks or, or Max or who it was, and then just straight up missed a layup, you know. I think that was in the first half. And then there was the, the three-on-one break where the Florida got fumbled the pass. That was going to lead to a sure dunk or layup or something like that. But the, took it off the ball, messed up the whole timing. They got nothing out of that position. And you know, those are two points, either one, that they, you know, if they get it, the complexion of the game is different or, you know, they lost five points. So, like you also said in the postgame show, that's on Mike White and them to have to deal with because they couldn't finish the job. Um, E.J. Montgomery, I wrote about this for JustTheCats.com because, you know, Kentucky did do to Florida what Tennessee did to Kentucky. EJ flying in. Look, he only had two points prior to the last 10 seconds of the game. He came from the three-point line to tip in Keon Brooks' miss, who Keon was balling, uh, and went in strong, even though he missed that potential game when he shot. EJ went from the three-point line when Keon was shooting and flies in to tip that in. Cal's been talking about his conditioning all season long. You know, EJ, I'm not saying he was Shaq, but you, you just – got the message that he didn't start the season in the shape that everybody thought he would, conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. You didn't hear EJ without conditioning. Those words were, you know, joined hand in hand. You also heard Cal say, well, if it takes till January, February for him to get it, that's what it'll be. And then you start hearing him say, EJ is close to breaking through. EJ is close. And you saw him making plays on defense. You saw that loose ball he fought for, I think, his old Miss. He ripped the rebound out of the guy's hand. For him to make that play late in the game, you know, TBU and I can bet our houses he would not have made that play in December. There's just no way after playing the full 20 minutes at the end of the game, he would not have been there to be in position to do that. So uh, sticking with it, them sticking with him, him continuing to push himself conditioning-wise because, you know, we've all done cardio and exercise and, especially when we're younger and running heels and this, that, and the other, and you think you're tired and your mind tells you that and you want to shut it down, you, you know, you can continue to dig deep and push through that. EJ obviously has been doing that, and he's starting to see games on the court, starting to see plays go his way, starting to see things kind of break for him in favor of him. Yeah, so and, – and... Listening to Cal post game, it was clear that this this was a game that the cats the cats needed. I mean, here's the thing: look, just if you look at all the things that happened, all right. Ashton Hagens does not play. Tyrese Maxey shoots one of eleven from the field. Quickly, only plays twenty one minutes and fouls out with twelve minutes left. Nothing about any of that says Kentucky wins the game or anything, when you especially say they were down by 18 points. But Nick Richards, 17 points in the second half, he did what he needed to do. That's why he's all SEC, and I know we'll, we'll recap that as well. Yeah. Nick did what he had to do 
the other guys all stepped up. And for Cal to say he uh, called the last play for Keon Brooks, and if you watch it, he called the play for Keon Brooks and then for EJ to be there to get the tip in. And thank goodness that's something that you can now look at. If you remember last year, Kentucky got burned on uh, a tip in and review. We've kind of set the, uh, you know, like with the uh, 2015 shot clock violation. Couldn't look at it then, but you can look at it now. So when Kentucky gets burned, the rules change, and thank goodness. Uh, You know, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more defense on the last shot attempt because Florida got a really good look at it, uh, and you were just, oh, we were saying, Johnny, "Oh man, you know." <laughs> Johnny was supposed to step up. I do believe. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, like, man, that would have been a tough way to come all the way back and lose on that. But uh, Kentucky, Ooh. they 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 toughed it out, and uh, they were nine of eleven from the free throw line, eight of thirteen from the three point line. Uh, actually shot better from three than overall field goal. <laughs> so when you look at the, the, the stats that way, the, the biggest reason was defense in the second half and only three turnovers in the second half. That's how you get it done. That's how you win the game on the road and show how tough you are. So uh, I think, you know, uh, Ashton Higgins is back. He's practicing. Uh you know, this was kind of the best case scenario. Like, hey, we can do this without you. It's going to be easier with you. So, so Ashton's got to be mature and slide in. And, and now there's that, that level of trust that the guys have. Like now they know, Cal knows, we all know, hey, Johnny Juzang can get it done. You know, he was two or four from three-point range, played some pretty good defense. We know Keon Brooks Jr. can get it done. Like we, this is, we, we know what we have now. You know, we all talked all year. We knew what we could get from the four. Well, now we know what we can get from all seven or eight guys that play. And, and I, to me, that's a good thing uh, as we look at the postseason. And uh, I hope Cal realizes that, well, we know he tightens the rotation in the postseason. He doesn't have much of one this year. But hopefully this gave him a little more trust in guys that maybe he still wasn't fully trusting because – you know, Saturday he had no choice but to trust him, and if it didn't work, he still had no choice but to play him. So if that, you know, he can just kind of file that away going forward. Um, if if Ashton is not going well, you know, pull him out, let Johnny have a few more minutes, and, and see, you know, go with somebody else uh, instead of maybe being so ride or die. Um, he he realizes maybe his options are a little more. Uh, tried and true or, or up to the challenge than he may have thought. Um, you know, you've been talking about resting action for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, I was hoping he would have gotten sat down for the Tennessee game. It worked out that he still ended up missing the game for, you know, call it what you want, you know, disciplinary reasons for what happened against Tennessee. Um, then, you know, the whole other issue with the, you know, video popping up from homeboy from Louisville finding it on Snapchat. So a lot going on with Ashton, and, you know, hopefully the break serves him well. Uh, maybe he does kind of kind of humble himself, kind of come in and, 
like you've been saying, get in where he fits in. You know, don't don't come in with that. You know, I'm I'm still the dude. Maybe maybe you know, lower yourself a notch or two, uh, and and work back in and, and go with the flow a little bit more, um, and and play well going forward. But yeah, um, weird how it played out. A lot going on. A lot had to be handled. Uh, <laughs> and come Friday, we'll we'll see how that integration process goes, and we should see how that reintegration process goes. Yeah, and I feel confident. You know, Cal has done a very good job, I think, of of, of relating to players. We we haven't had an issue of complete team dysfunction like other teams have had. Like, you know, Kentucky's had a few years, you know, where we've had those uh, teams that just get, get – uh, just can't get it together. So I, I feel very confident about this team. Ashton seems like a very good young man. and uh, You know, I think the time away did him good. Uh, but, of course, we'll see. But I think it's plain that this team does have the ability to get to the Final Four. Let's not get it, let's not get it twisted, as the kids say or they used to say. Uh, they absolutely can get – Get it, get it done. I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't uh, be able to. So, big time win. Very excited about that. Uh, I, I think it's there's so much good you can get from it than negative. Absolutely. If you had a credential for the tournament, would you be down there in Nashville right now? Because you've done it before. I still got to scratch it off my you know, little media list of things to do. Uh, yeah, I'd probably, yeah, I'd go down. I I, I think so. I, I think, uh, but I I haven't. I know that the the conferences, ACC and the SEC, are playing everything as usual today. But they will make uh, decisions. I, I think they need to make those decisions relatively quickly before. Uh, Louisville fans descend on, I think it's Greensboro where they are, and Kentucky fans get to Nashville. Get that word out uh, before people before people make that move. Absolutely. Absolutely. We uh, have failed to announce, too, that we got a big-time guest coming up on the show. We are excited about it. Uh, scheduled to join us at 6.45 TV. We We'll be joined by another ESPN personality. You had two prior to this one. We had Dickie V, had Freddie Coleman. Fellow Kentuckian Michael Ease is going to be calling in at 645. So definitely looking forward to that, getting thoughts on the cats and all the questions we'll have for a, a segment, 645 to 7. He'll be on with us. So definitely looking forward to talking with Mike, man. I'm excited like we always are when we get – a guest like that. Oh, absolutely. We are rocking and rolling. What a great guest to have is the Big Blue Nation. We get ready to win uh, SEC. I don't even know why they call it the SEC tournament. I refer to it as the UK Invitational, uh, and I will stop doing that when the other teams win it. Just half of the number of titles Kentucky has won. So <laughs> I, I do call it the UK uh, Invitational. 49 regular season titles, 31 uh, tournament titles, I do believe. Um, 
and I don't know who is thinking. I don't know LSU but, or something like that. I, I forget, but just the gap is sizable. Uh, Ala- Alabama, I think, isn't it? I think I think Alabama. Oh, and it's, oh. okay. Maybe LSU was second because, in regular season. So Alabama's second in tournament. Well, Alabama, Alabama won like four straight. I'm looking it up now. Uh, they won when Kentucky was, you know, the Kentucky shame and all that. Alabama in the early '90s won four in a row because there was like a decade it was just Alabama won and then Kentucky won. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking that up now, but I believe that's. I believe that that's be like the, the Wimp Sanderson and Spreewell. That's and they had Spreewell and Ori, Ori. and oh, yeah. they had some other guys that that uh, that they had some other guys there uh, as well. Derek McKee, you forget yeah, that dude played for Alabama, and uh, yeah, the first dude from Alabama I remember because this was this was back in the day. I don't. He was before then. I think he might have been there same time as Barkley. They had a dude named Bobby Lee Hurt. That was good. I just that name just stuck with me for some reason because you know it was it was always first name, middle name, last name. Bobby Lee Hurt. Uh, he was a, a power forward, a center, kind of tall, lanky dude. Uh, Antonio McDice was a bad man too, and he was more a little bit before us, but he was a high flyer for the tide back in the day. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Kentucky has thirty-one. Uh, they've got the the most ever. Uh, no surprise there. Uh, Alabama is second with six. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right. <laughs> so, yes. So you said you're waiting, so, for, you're waiting for somebody to get half as many as Kentucky? <laughs> no, just the rest of the league. Just oh, the rest okay. of the league to get. The rest of the league. <laughs> the rest of the league to get the rest of the half league as many. To get oh, the, yeah. the, yeah. Well, I mean that that uh, that may not be accurate because because Alabama has six, Florida has four, Tennessee has four, Tennessee has not won the SEC tournament since 1979. That's right. That's right. And they should. Last year was their year. If they can't win, it, you know, last, last year, year was their year. Yeah. They beat Kentucky and then just just couldn't handle themselves. Auburn ran them out of the gym in the finals. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but it's Kentucky 31, Alabama 6, Florida 4, Tennessee 4, Mississippi State 3, and then Auburn, Mississippi, Vanderbilt, and Georgia 2 apiece, 1 for Arkansas. You, LSU has not won it since 1980. The year I think we need to talk about – look, I love Dale Brown as a coach. Love Dale Brown as a coach, okay, and what he did at LSU. And, and really, if you look over his entire tenure, he was just as competitive against Kentucky as anybody else has ever been. But you got to talk about what LSU didn't do with Chris Jackson and Shaquille O'Neal and the talent that came through Baton Rouge. You, that's a conversation that I think – you got to have at some point, but not not now, not now. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm I, not making I, excuses. You know, the the fight with Tennessee, I, 
that should have been the year they won it. Uh, I think 92, Carlos Grove, Shaq, they ran on the court. It was a melee, a melee, melee, whatever, fracas. Was it melee? Melee. 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 That, I think that kind of put a iceberg in their tournament title hopes that year because, um, you know, you, you lose Shaq, you lose, you know. I think they beat Tennessee, but then they lost like half their team and, you know, they lost the next game. That should have been the year Dale got an SEC tournament title because they were, just keep it real, they were they had smacked Kentucky like every time they played them that year, 92. And then, of course, we know what 92 goes on, you know, the unforgettables. They didn't have to play LSU in the tournament. Uh, he was talking about that. But, you know, it was, it's kind of like, you know, you play a three-game series in baseball and you, and you miss Kershaw. You know, he, he played in the previous series. You don't face him. Or, you know, you don't get Pedro in his prime and, you, you know, you take two out of three from the Red Sox and you kind of dodge that bullet. 92 Kentucky missed Shaq in the tournament because of that big fight with Carlos Groves in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. But I was right on the money. See, Alabama, see, Kentucky won in 1986. And then uh, through 1995, those 10 years, there's either Kentucky or Alabama. Alabama won three straight wow. from 1989, 90, and 91. And then Kentucky won from 92 to 95. Mississippi State gets in there. And then Kentucky Wins, of course, 97, 98, 99. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky's got a lot of stretches of like four or five years in a row, of course, from 2010 and 11. Yeah. So, at any rate, uh, it's, it's you know, the SEC championship, it's Kentucky, and then everybody else, like it is uh, for the most part. So, uh, but before we get Mr. Eves on, uh, another banner season for Kentucky, Emmanuel Quickly is your player of the year for the coaches uh, quickly is joined by uh, Nick Richards on the SEC uh, coaches, uh, all SEC first team Tyrese Maxey's on the second team and Ashton Hagen's much maligned at this point. Ashton Hagen's is all defensive uh, team for the SEC and coach Cal coach of the year. So uh, not a surprise. Uh, what usually happens in leagues like this is if you get a team that wins the championship uh, and wins by, I think they won by what, two or three games. So it wasn't even really contested at the end. That's, that's going to be what happens. And, and, and if you're one of those people that believes, you know, best player on the best team gets it, then it, then it was quickly. Uh, I agree with that 100%. Nick being all SEC, absolutely think that that's, uh, the way to go, uh, Cal being coach of the year. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't. I, do, I don't really see anyone else that would have challenged for that. So you know, I'm I'm okay with that. And LSU, speaking of, they have a two-game lead, almost right at the halfway point in the conference schedule. They were 8 0. Kentucky and Auburn, I think, were 6 and 2. Um, Kentucky finishes 15 and 3. They go 9 and 1 in their last 10 conference games, and that one was a 17 point 
game lead, but they gave away to Tennessee. And LSU just, you know, fell apart. I think they finished eleven and seven or twelve and six. You know, they went three and seven, four and six, and take goes nine and one. From two games back to three games clear <laughs> in you know, in winning the conference. Uh same thing when they played Arkansas. That was a tough game at that time and then Arkansas fell apart. Um you know, and, and weren't even in the mix. You know, Mason Jones is putting up numbers, but, you know, didn't have any wins to show for it. Kind of like Anthony Edwards. You know, nothing to show for it. Nothing to, you know, you know not nothing to happen. Yeah. And, and with Coach Cal being uh, SEC Coach of the Year, it's his fourth time and the 22nd overall for the Kentucky head coach. Uh, and I'm looking, see, I'm looking at the coaching winners. I'm going back, going back, and I'm on. I'm every. I'm gonna jump in on coach. Brent now. I'm gonna. I don't mean to. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm gonna jump in because uh, I see our guest number pop up on the line. Uh, so we will. We will pick up what we're talking about. But we oh, have with us a gentleman who who has made his mark everywhere he's gone. Everybody in Kentucky knows him. Everybody on the West Coast in LA knows him. Made his mark in Memphis. Now making his mark at the Worldwide Leader ESPN. We're talking about White Flames Zone, Hopkins County Zone, Mr. Michael Eves. Welcome to Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Harding, Terry Brown. How are you, Mike? I'm good, fellas. What's happening, man? Not a whole man, lot. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Just chopping it up, looking at all these updates and changes that's going on, basically. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild day, um, and quite honestly, I had a feeling a bunch of the stuff that kind of broke today in terms of news was going to happen, and I have a feeling that we're going to see more of this over the next couple of days at least. Now, once we get to the weekend and see how some of these games are played without fans in the building, you know, the first week of the tournament, things of that nature, hopefully it will, hopefully it will calm down that what we're doing from a national perspective will be for the greater good and just be a minor bump in the road because you don't want to see something like this last you know, for months at a time, but it is definitely interesting times in which we are living. For sure, for sure. That's, true. that's what you said with the, the whole bump in the road, uh, looking back, and hopefully that's the case. With you having a feeling that this was going to play out like this, Michael, in your gut a little more than three weeks out, did you see maybe, you know, covering golf like you do, did you see the mattress being without a gallery as is, is part of this as well? If you had to guess now based on what you thought would happen over these past couple of days? I mean, at this point, it, it would not surprise me. I actually had a conversation with one of my coworkers uh, the other day. We were talking about um, our coverage and, you know, what to expect. And I was like, if there's one sporting event where the – ticket sales and the money that they get from tickets and concession would not be a consideration as it relates to how that event is going to be held, it would be the Masters. Because one, Augusta National doesn't really need the money to function because they get enough money from the regular sponsors and the television contracts, clearly. Where a place like the NCAA, that's why they went to these larger venues to have more tickets, more concessions, all that money goes to the coffers in addition to what they get from the, from the TV networks they have 
way more interest in those funds than, than Augusta National would have. So with that being said, if there was one place that would go on without fans, it could be Augusta. And quite honestly, if you think about it, if you think about the coverage, so many of the shots that you see from Augusta National, you do not see fans in the background. There's so many locations on that golf course where fans simply can't get. Right, I mean, you, you see the gallery at, at 16 on the par three, and some of the people around the par five at 15, but you don't see anyone um, left of the green on 11, behind the green on 12, near the tee box on 13, or anywhere near the green on 13. There's so many places on that golf course. Even when you're watching television, you never see a fan. So it wouldn't be that big of a deal uh, for them not to have them. Clearly, I hope they are there because you know I think all sporting events are better when live. Uh, reactions are going on around the competitors, but nonetheless, I think it would still be compelling golf, even if you didn't have the fans on the golf course. Talking with Michael Eves, ESPN Sports Center, fellow Kentuckian, graciously taking out time to hop on that little show with the TV man jump on in. You know how I'll be just yakking, yakking, yakking. Well, one question I have for you, Mr. Eves, I've seen you kind of have interactions with the bracketologist Joe Lunardi in his statement that our beloved Wildcats are somewhere between a two-seed and a five-seed. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? That just seems like a pretty big gap for a postseason tournament that generally we don't see have a lot of impact on seeding. Well, I mean, here's here's one thing. All right, it's, it's so funny how people react to certain things, right? If Joe Lenardi said that Kentucky could climb up to a one seed if they won the SEC tournament, people would love Joe Lenardi. But if he says they could fall all the way down to a five if they lose their first game of the SEC tournament, now all of a sudden Joe Lenardi doesn't know anything, which the truth is always right. in the middle, okay? So but here's what people have to realize about Joe Lenardi or anyone else who does you know, what, we could, what we call around ESPN bracketology. What they are doing is taking a look at all the data that the selection committee will be looking at and has looked at in the past and try to guess based on previous behavior of the selection committee members and also that data and predict what will happen. He's not saying Kentucky deserves to be a five seed. What he is saying that based on how things have played out in the past and current data and what people think of the SEC, he would not be surprised if the committee dropped Kentucky to a five. But people get so offended because they think Joe Lenardi's hating on Kentucky. Joe Lenardi doesn't give a damn about Kentucky in that regard. He really doesn't. He is just trying to predict the 68-team field and their seeding. Think about the the exponential numbers involved in getting that right, okay? That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to win the lottery 68 times. That's what he's trying to do. And people say, oh, he, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He does know what he's talking about. He's been doing it too long for him not to know what he's talking about, right? He's way more right than he is wrong. The only people trip about it when they're talking about their respective teams, okay? So let's get that out in the conversation to begin with. Now, having said that, what, what is really at play here when the selection committee gets together is two things. One will be the strength of the SEC and how it is compared to other conferences around the country, okay? I think every year there is a conference here or there that is overrated, in my estimation, based on whatever parameters the selection committee wants to put on it, whether it's the SEC. Well, granted, the SEC is never overrated in basketball, but usually the ACC or the Big Ten are two conferences that are, in my estimation, overrated. I think the Big Ten is that conference this year. So they will look at the Big Ten strength in their minds and say the SEC didn't quite stack up to it, so thus even the best team from that conference will have to suffer consequences accordingly because their conference schedule, which makes up the majority of your schedule, was not very strong. Okay, That's number one. And number two, whether Kentucky, wants to, Kentucky fans want to keep talking about Evansville or not, that loss 
is significant because it was at home. It wasn't even in some, like, tournament in the Bahamas somewhere. You lost to Evansville at home when you see what Evansville did the rest of the season. Granted, that's in turmoil with Walter McCarty's situation, but nonetheless, that loss is on your resume. But you also lost to Utah in a neutral site in Vegas, see what their season did, and you lost a 17-point lead at home to Tennessee. If you're going to talk about the comeback in Florida and winning that game without Ashton Hagens and some of the other big wins you had during the season, you have to take those bad losses too. Okay, you put all that together, that's going to be part of the conversation in the committee room. Now, I, I don't think they're going to be a five, and I think if the committee puts them a five, I would not have issue with Joe Lenardi. I would have issues with the selection committee. Okay, that's number one. Could they be a two seed? If they win the conference tournament, I think they should be a two seed. But granted, those seedings will probably be determined before Kentucky plays on Sunday afternoon if they get that far, right? So I would not be stunned if they are a three seed. But there's really not much of a difference between a two and a three. I'd rather be, quite honestly, the number one three seed as opposed to the last two seed because that could determine where you go where you play if you're the higher three seed you may actually play closer to home than if you're the lowest two seed right so people get caught up in the seeding because of pride and ego they want to say that kentucky's a two seed and duke's a three seed so we're a better team no no no. the only thing that really matters is who you play and where be more concerned about that than how some bracketologist or jay billis or anybody else ranks your team uh compared to someone else Talking with Michael Eves, CMO Sports Center on the regular on ESPN. Your thoughts on this, how the season played out? Of course, and you know everybody knows that you're BBN up there uh, in Bristol, and you represent mm-hmm. going down for Kentucky. Um, your thoughts on the roller coaster season? You mentioned Evansville, you mentioned Utah, you mentioned them, you know, winning the SEC outright. Was it kind of what you thought it would be coming into the season, or you know, was it a little bit different than how you thought it would play out? You, you know, here's the I, I thought that Kentucky would be a little more together earlier because for the first time they had so many experienced players returning. Right, typically it's always you got this freshman class, the stars leave, you got some more freshman class, as opposed to having a couple of sophomores who had legit minutes the season before. Kentucky had that this year, so I thought they would be a little better earlier. So that's why the Evansville loss was a little surprising. That's why the loss to Utah and even Ohio State were surprising to me. But for the most part, I, I, I temper my expectations until I see these dudes play, you know, 10 or 12 games to get an idea of who they are, because they don't even know who they are at that point, right? Because they're all getting together for the first time, typically, and seeing how things play out. Um, but they came together, to me, at a pretty good time that I thought, it's like, oh, if this is the team, if this is the identity, they have a legitimate chance of winning. Now, I, got, I got to say, that Tennessee loss was extremely disappointing, extremely disappointing because the fact that they were at home. Losing on the road at Auburn, okay, that's fine. That's not a big deal. But there's no way you should lose to Tennessee at home when you had that big lead. Now, you want to talk about what happened with Ashton Hagens and Cal getting into it, blah, blah, blah. You know what? That happens every single year, folks. You may not – sometimes you see it in public, sometimes you don't, but it happens every single year year on every single team. There's always those issues. I mean, we saw with Cassius Winston and Tom Izzo in a game, right? They they still be able to win the game. That's not an excuse, all right? Um, but at the same time, could, could this team go to the Final Four? Yeah. Could they lose in the second round? Yeah, <laughs> because they showed, showed you both examples of how great and how bad they could be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, got Michael Eves on with us, definitely talking Kentucky basketball, working on some, some random stuff as well. March Madness coming up, the Masters around the corner. Uh, a lot of people like this is the best time of the year. 
is this your favorite time of year, or do you like that October when all the sports are going on and it's almost World Series, NFL, NBA starting? If you had to pick, which time of year do you prefer? My favorite week is Masters Week because it starts with the national championship game on Monday, and then going to Augusta for me personally uh, is the coolest thing I do all year. And leading into that week um, is a huge week for me. And then you're right on the cusp of the NBA playoffs typically. So some of those last games in that week matters in terms of seeding the next week. So that, that first full week in April is always my favorite week of the year. I mean, I'll always be hyped about the NCAA tournament because just Kentucky basketball is part of my culture growing up. But it's it, it, the best week for me is, is Masters Week. There's no question about that. How has your perspective changed from the very first time you got to cover the Masters till, you know, this time coming up, even though you've done it millions of times or, you know, years and years, I'm sure it never gets old. How has your perspective of that whole week and now you get to be there, how has it changed yeah, from year one to coming up? It doesn't it, – it's, it's funny. I, I still get the – I mean, granted, going the first time is special, like setting foot on those grounds, man. It, it's it's hard to explain. You just feel like you're part of a history that you don't necessarily experience in other sports venues. I, I don't quite know how to explain it more than that. Um, but, like, going the first time, because I know every single hole in that golf course just from watching on television. You can't say that about any other place typically, right? But what I wanted to do the first time I went there, I wanted to feel the golf course. I wanted to feel that walk down number two, how steep that par five is. I wanted to um, feel the walk up number eight and the walk down number 10 and to see, you know, just how close the tee box is um, at number 12 to the green at number 11. Like I wanted to feel all those things. You can't do that unless you walk the golf course. And it is a tremendous piece of property that even television doesn't do it justice. So, so, so I have that feel now, so I don't have to go back each year and get that feel again. But just being there for the first major and, you know, golf, the Masters always represented to me spring growing up in Kentucky because we're coming out of winter and it's now the, the clocks have changed and now it's time to get outside and start playing golf. And that's what it always represents to me, especially now here where it snows in Connecticut way more than it did in Kentucky when I was growing up. So going down there for that first week in April, is just it, it's like the kickstart to spring and get ready for summer and start playing golf. We mentioned your your time in LA. We mentioned you working in Memphis. Terry's mom and family are from Memphis. A few weeks ago, we talked That's on right. the show about your thread of your interaction with Wesley Snipes right before the Titan <laughs> fight in Memphis. <laughs> How would the headline have read that? Oh next my morning, God! The commercial appeal. Oh my God! That one more little thing led to another little thing, and and you actually had to put your hands on Mr. Wilson. I would hate to even imagine what that would have been like. You know, also I hate to imagine if it had happened today in the world of social media, because I guarantee you somebody would have had a, a video or a picture of it. And it, 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 I mean, let me say this. It got real close, but no hands were thrown. There was no shoving. There were just some hard looks, you know, how grown men do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I'm so glad that, that it didn't pop off that way because, you know, it would have been silly and useless, da da da. But, you know, I, you know I've lived in a lot of places um, in my life now, and what I've realized is that people grow up differently, right? And some people think that they can say anything to somebody and not get their ass whooped. I didn't grow up that way. Like, if if you – 
something you say verbally I can take as assault and we have a physical confrontation. That's just how I grew up, right? And, you know, as an adult and considering what I do now and also with my wife reminding me of certain things is I've, I've tried to, you know, remember that a lot of people talking to me aren't realizing who they're talking to or what they're saying and things of that nature. So I let a lot more stuff go now than I did back then. And that day would have, or that night would have been a perfect example of not of me not letting something slide. If he would have said one more thing or did anything confrontational, it, it would it would not have been good. It would not have been good. I, I wouldn't want to make a headline before the night of the Mike Tyson Lennox Lewis fight. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You clearly let everybody know in that Twitter thread that you were not the least bit starstruck, and that the star was about to get struck if a couple more minutes had elapsed. Is what it sounds. I mean, it's the, like I don't know why, and I don't, I don't, want, I don't want this to come off this, the wrong way when I say it. I've never really been starstruck, right? Because what I realized, mm-hmm. especially, especially when I went to Kentucky, because a lot of my friends were, you know, stars on the basketball team, right? You know, so like Jamal Mashburn and I were freshmen together. I went to, you know, Travis Ford. I mean, Travis Ford and I grew up together, but uh, I went to his wedding. John Pelfrey's bachelorette party, like these dudes were huge, right? When when I was in school, but to me they were just dudes. And then I realized that every dude is just somebody, right? They all we all came from somewhere, and then based on circumstances we became someone, or we we achieved certain things. So I've never been starstruck necessarily by celebrity, so to speak. Now if it's a if it's a beautiful woman when I was younger, that's different. But I wasn't about her being a star. It's because she was fine, right? Um, but so yeah, yeah, I was never. I was not afraid of Wesley Spice. And, yo, he is little, dude. Most people don't realize that, that Hollywood <laughs> actors are short. Those dudes are short. Like, it's rare for someone to be as tall. I'm 6'2 on a good day now. I used to be taller, but I'm getting old, so I'm, sh- I'm shrinking. So, like, Will Smith, Tom Hanks, Will Ferrell, um, Ben Affleck, those dudes are actually tall. Like, they're, they're like my height. Um, little, Will Ferrell and, and uh, Ben Affleck may be a little bit taller than me. But, like, Will Smith is my height. Tom Hanks is my height. Denzel's not short. But most of those other dudes are short, man. And Wesley Snipes is one of those short dudes, like Tom Cruise, Matt Damon. All those dudes are short. So, you know, when I was living in L.A., you run into them, you know, sometimes at the grocery store, but especially at Laker games. I was like, man, all these dudes are short. Like, why am I going to be afraid of, you know, these little dudes? Like, I I grew up with much bigger dudes where I grew up. So, yeah, I was never afraid of Wesley Snipes. And just because you got a black belt on the movies don't mean you got one in real life, bro. Exactly. <laughs> a couple more real – a couple more real quick ones with the great Michael Eve. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have a couple of your colleagues on the show over the years we've been doing it. We had Dickie V on. We had Freddie Coleman on. Do you have a funny, memorable, shareable Freddie Coleman story? You know, I never see Freddie because he works. Really? Yeah, I never see him because it's rare that I see him. Let me say it's rare that I see him because we work in different buildings here on campus and – and oftentimes, for a large part of our career, we worked at different times. Now we work at the same time, which is probably worse because I'm at one part of campus and he's in the other. It's sort of like if you were on UK and, you know, you, like I was taking classes in the journalism building, I would never see people over in the engineering building, right, because we're just not in the same place at the same time. So I never see Freddie. Like I've never been on – like we, we haven't worked together really. I think I may have had him on a sports center one time, but nah, never really – we wow. never see each other. Wow. Last one for you, Mike. We're so honored to have you. Uh, I saw you tweet, quote, a thread, uh, and we've all talked about it at, in the backyard, at the barbecue, at the house, you know, PB and I, mm-hmm. amongst ourselves. The white singers who sound black and Jack Shield <laughs> in conjunction, Junction got you shook 
over the fact that you thought that was a brother thing. Um, My entire childhood, I thought that was a, I thought that was a uh, brother singer. <laughs> and my question to you, the reverse of that, I, I was the same way. Don't be gray, drift away. I thought that was a white guy my whole life. I don't know about y'all. Oh, is that right? That was, I was surprised to find out that he was brother. I mean, the 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 best of all time is clearly Bobby Caldwell. I mean, what what love yeah. won't do? Like everyone, I mean. Everybody thought that was like, dude, no question about it. Like, I remember being younger when I didn't quite know who Hall and Oates were. There was one particular song that got a lot of play on R&B radio, and I assumed they were just because of the station they were on. Uh, but then later you hear some of the other songs, like, oh, that's a white dude. There's no question about it. But Bobby Caldwell mm-hmm. and my man who sang Conjunction Junction, and who, again, who, and I think he did also sing uh, I'm Just a Bill. I think he had a couple of songs on School yeah. of Rock. Yeah, um, Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah, yeah, but like, like I said on Twitter, like growing up in my mind, I pictured Scatman Crothers, right? If you're old enough to remember who that was, I pictured some older black man bald out there singing like old blues songs and stuff. That's what he sounded like to me. But um, yeah, so he, he would definitely be invited to the cookout. There's no question about that. And I, I put Boss Gag Low Down in there too. Cause yep, yep, that, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Man, <laughs> Michael, we were. You know, we'll talk to you forever, but we appreciate you hopping on for a segment. Such an honor to talk with you. Uh, you represent White Plains, period, Louisville. I'm from Eastern Kentucky, Harlan County. So fun little three-way Kentucky chat, man. And uh, we always rooting for you and enjoy watching you and, and just honored you spent time with us chatting it up, man. It's funny. I almost got in a fight with a dude to Harden County at a basketball camp one time. So what's up, E-Town? Harden or Harlan? I'm from Harlan. <laughs> Harlan. Are you Harlan or Harden? Harley. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. Back. All right, then. Never mind. No, I, I didn't have no problems with y'all. Y'all good? <laughs> we good, man. We, we good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey fellas, y'all be good, good man, and go time. cats. Thank, Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Mike. <laughs> Michael Eves, TV. I mean, come on now. Yeah, it, 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 and everything he was saying is, is accurate. Uh, his 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 point about Joe Lunardi, you know, and, and and we can segue into this a little bit as we talk about the seating. Uh, Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News had a great article today dispelling some of the myths around seating and of, of the you know of the tournament selection committee. It's not as easy as you think. I have said you can pretty much come up with maybe 25 or 30 teams every year that are no-brainers. You know, if Kentucky gets it, you know, if Kentucky doesn't win the SEC tournament, they're still in. You know, Duke is still going to be in, different things like that. But you have to have contingency plans because you've got to fill it out all the way to 68 now. That's where it gets to be a little bit challenging. And then you've got to seed, you know, you've got to rank these teams. And then you've got your own rules. You know, you can't have uh, conference foes meet until the Sweet 16, I believe. I believe that's the de facto rule. And there's, there's all these guidelines they have to go by. Now, that being said, I do find it interesting. You know, I think, you know, uh, Robert Morris, everybody remembers Robert Morris <laughs> from the NIT year uh, under Cal. That, uh, Robert Morris made the tournament this year. They won their conference tournament. And Northern Kentucky, with Darren Horn, Lexington's own Darren Horn as a coach, won their tournament. Well, 
if Kentucky's a two seed, one of those two teams will be the 15th. Right? That that seems that is my only real gripe is oftentimes when Northern Kentucky gets in, they had to play Kentucky. Uh, Western Kentucky plays uh, Kentucky and Louisville a lot. When Eastern gets in, I think uh, Kentucky's played them twice in the first round. Uh, Moorhead mm-hmm. gets in, they play, you know, Murray and Moorhead get in, they got to play uh, one of the big uh, state schools. So I understand the thought process that the tournament committee doesn't try to make matchups for TV, but then I see Louisville taking on uh, uh, Minnesota in the first round last year. Right, you know, uh, Lipitino's yeah, yeah. former team versus his son's team, or mm-hmm. bizarrely, uh, 2016 Kentucky being paired up with uh, Indiana. I don't think we've ever seen uh, Power Five conferences, the regular season champions, set to meet that early in the tournament. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, just different things like that. And, and my whole thing is, you don't have to create the drama. The tournament does that for you. Like, there's no, you don't have to necessarily get these narratives out there. Uh, you know, I think back to uh, 2002, where uh, Duke was a one seed, Kentucky was a two seed, and they put them both in the Philadelphia East Regional because it was the 10 year anniversary of you know who's shot. I mean, come on, that that just happened. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to believe mm-hmm. that just. That just occurred. No, I, I don't buy that. But, again, it's, it's not as easy as we may think. The biggest issue is the tournament's criteria changes from year to year. And, and, and what uh, Michael Lee was saying about, you know, these bracketologists trying to figure it out is the tournament committee, selection committee changes every year, so their points of emphasis change every year. And we've started to see that with the football uh, selection committee is what we thought was important really isn't important. You know, sometimes for football, it's okay. Well, you've got to be a conference champ. If you're not a conference champ, that takes you out of the running. Well, we've seen Alabama get in not being a conference champ, right? So with basketball and especially on the men's side, I can't speak to the women's side. I don't, I'm not well versed there, but, for the men's side, I remember for a long time it was strength of schedule. Like you had to play as, as many tough out-of-conference opponents as you can, right? Because Georgia, uh, under Jim Harris, got in one year, I want to say 97, 98 maybe. I could be wrong, but they got in. The Bulldogs got in. They were 17 and 14, but had played just a murderer's row of teams, Right. And the committee person yeah. said, hey, this is what we're looking at. So teams scheduled that way. And then, you know, the, the committee chair comes out and says, no, you've got the, you know, you, we don't, you know, these losses do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. So there's all these mixed signals because every year the criteria seems to change. Now, it used to be the RPI was the go-to metric. And they got rid of that. And then they went to – now we're in the net rankings, and I've got issues with that. A lot of people say, oh, Kentucky fans are obsessed with Duke. Well, Duke stayed at number six in the net rankings 
and lost three out of four games. How is that possible? If, if you're ranking, if you don't get penalized for losing ball games, something's wrong with your formula. And then you look at Kentucky winning and, and still going down in the rankings. Like, how does that work? I don't under, help me understand that. Uh, but I think by and large, and I think that the committee does a pretty decent job of seeding the tournament. However, and before all of, before all that, it used to just be twenty wins. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, you get to twenty wins, didn't matter how you got there. And that's the thing; it changes every four or five years. And I think that is the term that people stay on the committee. I think is it's like a four or five year stretch. I believe uh, the criteria and what they're looking for for a tournament team uh, it changes. So. I say all that, but I also feel that if, and I've said, you know, I have said this as long as we've done this show. If Kentucky isn't dominant, if it's not 2015 or 2012 or 2010 or, you know, going back to 1996 or even 03 and 04, you know, uh, I believe 04 was the first year that the committee actually said, okay, we've got one number. This is the top number one. This is the top team going in. And I think that 04 year with, uh, uh, with Tubby, I think either 03 or 04, we were that team. Uh, if we're not that good, I think the committee, whatever the criteria is, I think they look for a reason to kind of give Kentucky the shaft. Now, I'm not saying they're twirling their mustaches like, you know, a dastardly guy, but – to some of the brackets that we've received when we haven't been that dominant. And I'm like, you can't tell me that otherwise. You know, the whole 2016, I think, is exhibit A for everybody. You know, you tie. I thought you was going to give us a villain laugh. I thought, I thought you had a villain laugh coming. Uh, I was waiting oh, for <laughs> you know, what <laughs> I'm going to bring Benny in, too. Benny's on the line with us again, too. Basketball across the bluegrass, Benny and Lee. How you doing, Benny? I'm doing I'm doing well, guys. I just, uh, which I know you guys are talking about seeding right now, but you, you know what's on my mind. <laughs> not, not having fans at the tournament, and I've actually heard that they might cancel the SEC tournament after tonight. Have y'all heard that one? Uh, no, it, it's kind of, hard to discern what's true and what's not true. That's the thing. I'm waiting on official words before I start, you know, going going down the going down the panic hole. Uh, I, I saw the SEC tweet out that tonight games are going to stay, and then they're kind of evaluated going forward. They didn't say cancel, but it's like they're just looking at it. And I'm just curious. I want you guys to tell me off it, but I I feel like we're completely and totally overreacting just a touch to this. And I don't think Terry agrees with me. I'm not sure, but I don't think Terry agrees. And that's fine. I mean, you know, even we disagree sometimes. I get that. But I just, it's from what I know about the coronavirus, which isn't much, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't affect you unless, well, it affects you, but it doesn't, you're not really in great danger unless you're, have health problems already, and it kind of seems like 
the flu to me in a way. I mean, I know it's had a little bit higher death rate, but it's not astronomical. And I just wonder why everybody's freaking out so much. My my whole thing is you you have to be prepared. Even if it seems like overkill, I would rather have a situation where we have overreacted than a situation where we have underreacted. Overreacted, we can get mad at the people in charge, and we can say, "Hey, man, that was overkill." But underreacted, that's 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 a that's a deadly combination. So I understand. It's going to be weird and awkward not having fans, and, and things may get canceled. But I'm not going to jump on the NCAA because governors, uh, other city officials, national leaders are saying, hey, we need to take this a bit seriously. So that's where I'm coming in on that. We have seen across the world uh, other things being canceled. We've seen here in America – We've got, you know, South by Southwest down in Austin got canceled. Other things are being canceled. Uh, Houston canceled their big rodeo, which is a, a huge deal down there. So I, I don't want to say that it's a complete overreaction, but I think it's a smart play to not have 30,000 people gather under one roof. You know, Ian, you might be right. I might be wrong on this. But in my thoughts, First thing, if I, you know, which I'm not in charge, thank goodness for all of us, right? But if I were, the first thing I would do would keep kids from going to school because that's where, to me, you know, being a parent, having young ones, that's where we all get sick is from the kids spreading stuff. You know, it seems like. Go ahead. No, and I agree with that. Because kids are gross, man. Kids sneeze on each other and, and wipe their noses on each other. Kids are, kids are gross, man. You know, I, I tell all my friends that are having kids, like, man, you'll be sitting there one day, and you will go to yawn, and a kid will sneeze right in your mouth. Because kids just, <laughs> they're gross and they're in your face. So I, I, know that here, yeah, I, I know that here in Louisville, uh, Jefferson County, you know, Canceling school is is is, is up for uh, is, is being talked about, and I know that other places are as well. And uh, I just think that you have to act with an abundance of caution because there are a lot of people. You know, you're you may be fine and healthy. I, I think I'm fine and healthy, but there are a lot of people uh, in our population that just aren't. So I, I well, think you have to point. act. If you're... In, if you're not, then you know that you probably shouldn't go, which, I mean, maybe there's people out there that's fanboys like myself that would probably go anyway. But, you know, I'm just saying you you would probably, like, like I wash my hands more now than I did before, but I washed them before. And I think that's part, it, it's just weird to me. Like you go to the store and you can't find hand sanitizer or soap. And I'm like, dude, I've got a house full of hand sanitizer and soap because I use that stuff. Before the pandemic, you know, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get to well, and toilet paper. Well, I mean, what, what are you going to do with toilet paper? <laughs> and, and that's people overreacting. We see it when, you know, when the weatherman says, okay, there's an inch of snow. And, and you know, if you go to Kroger, you go to your grocery store, for whatever reason, you know, it's milk and eggs and bread and toilet paper. <laughs> people, that's just how, that's just how it goes. So those people on the, Individual level, I think that's an overreaction. But I think if you're a governor, if you're a mayor, 
and you're responsible for your city, your state, you you got to try to mitigate as much as you can. Um, and I don't know what's going to on where, in Italy. We're just going to quarantine. I've heard some some rumblings about Italy. If it's as bad over there as what I've heard some people say, then maybe maybe I'm underreacting. Okay, that could be possible. But I'm just I'm just thinking there's a thousand people nationwide. They said with the coronavirus, and they and they say it's doubling here, doubling there. And I'm thinking you don't know you don't know what's doubling because you don't know who's got it because we're not tested. Well, and that is the uh, – I think we had this Twitter exchange the other day, Benny. That's the big thing is we're not testing people, so we don't know. And then on top of that, the people that do have it that are supposed to be quarantined, I don't know if you saw a uh, father-daughter went to a fa- – they went to a daddy-daughter dance when they're supposed to be quarantined. Oh. And, and other people are breaking their quarantine mm. as well. So if you've got someone mm. you know has it and you're not locking them up and they go to – the Nashville and the SEC tournament, that's an issue. That is absolutely your worst case scenario. Well, as so you if know, we're not you locking probably, up people. You probably follow me on Twitter and you hear all this stuff. But we had a cruise plan for months, you know, and we actually yeah, went. I was just going to ask you. And, and okay. I tried to talk her out of it. I really did. But we hadn't had a vacation in 20 years. She's like, hell no, we're going. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was like, I'm not scared of this. But, and I'll tell you the truth: if you're going to go on a cruise right now, it'd be the time to do it because as I walk away from something, they're cleaning it. They got people on there, man. I'm telling you, they're they're on it now. After the ship that got quarantined out west, they're on that stuff. Let me so how, which I know. So go ahead. How long was it? How many days was it? And where did y'all go? We were just. I, it was a three-day cruise, and we went to the Bahamas. We went to uh, uh, Nassau and, uh, oh, shoot, I forget the name of the other one, but I actually liked it better. I didn't even get off the boat in the Nassau place because of all the rumors. We just we just hung out there. But Coco Cay, that's a really nice place if you ever want to take the family, just, just so you know. Cool. I'm glad y'all went and made Which, it back. With her games. mom was crying because she thought we were going to die because we were going on a cruise ship. It was kind of kind of funny in a way, but but I, I get it too. I get people's panic, but at the same time, when they canceled the NCAA tournament for fans, I started thinking, "Am I wrong about this or what?" And and, and yeah. what I said earlier, but it, it, it's there's a there's a fine line between panic, like I'm going to hoard my toilet paper. And uh, I'm going to, you know, get all my hand sanitizer and just being smart and gatherings of 20, 30,000 people right now, probably just not the smartest thing to do. Uh, you know, there's a, I, I've said this earlier. I don't know if I said this earlier on this show, but I was talking to people. There's going to be some decisions that have to be made uh, here in Kentucky pretty darn soon because the Kentucky Derby is coming. And, here in Louisville, there, people come from all over, so there's going to be some tough, tough decisions that have to be made regarding the Derby and all those events as well. So I would it, say it, that it's the not, Derby would be probably more dangerous than the tournament, to be honest with you. I mean, if I was just gauging from the where people come from, because they're coming from all across the country to watch 
the NCAA tournament. They're coming from all across the world to watch the Derby. Absolutely. You know? I, absolutely. In, in Thunder over Louisville, you've got roughly, uh, they estimate, between 180 and 200,000 people, depending on the weather, down on the waterfront to watch the fireworks. And if you've got, a, you know, 20, 30 people that are carrying that virus, that's a, that's an issue. You know, that's something that you have to watch. So we'll see. I, I, I lean toward let's be safe, let's be a little proactive, and 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 from there. But, I, you know, I, again, I'm not saying you have to live in fear either. I, I, I said earlier that you don't need to put your kids in the, the hazmat suits and, and all that kind of stuff or, or one of those suits like, uh, you know, the underwater divers wear. Like, you don't need to do that. But like you said, Benny, stuff that probably we should have been doing anyway, let's do that. Wash our hands. Uh, make sure that, you know, public areas are being cleaned regularly. You know, let's do that kind of stuff. Exactly. I think Benny dropped off, but definitely appreciate you calling in, Benny. Y'all check him out every Sunday, him and Lee Weglars. Kentucky basketball across, across the bluegrass. They're on Block Talk Radio 2. You and I have both been guests um, with them different times every Sunday uh, at 6 o'clock. Uh, and they talk Big Blue. They talk Cats. They've had some cool guests on. Uh, had Dave Baker on the other day. Uh, had Dan Nisman like we have. Uh, a lady that is, like, really, really in tight with the band Rush. She, like, discovered Rush when they were in Canada floundering around, and then she, like, played their music in the States, and they kind of took off after that, and they talked about how they've been friends ever since. So, uh, good stuff. Uh, they kind of like us, you know, two guys doing the show. Benny's, I think, in Ashland, and Lee's out in Paducah, you know, so they really are across the bluegrass. Uh, and they do that thing every week just like we do. Yeah, always glad to, to talk to, to Benny and and, uh, and Lee and, and everything like that. But you know, like I said, just just be just be cautious. That's that's the that's the the, the name of the game. So yeah, um, I think Georgia and Georgia and Ole Miss. I think were tipping off tonight, and then Vanderbilt and whoever they were playing first game of the SEC tournament. I was going to try to find that real quick. Um, I can't find it now, but the first game was at seven. Um, does, does Anthony Edwards play more than one game in the SEC tournament, TV? Because he's, you know, he's been Ben Simmons-esque, maybe worse. Like, I don't think this Georgia team might have been worse than the Ben Simmons team. Neither, you know, going to make the tournament, you know, unless Georgia was to win it all if they – even have it all. Uh, does does Anthony Edwards get more than one SEC tournament yet? No, and <laughs> no. I mean, I think he's going to be one of those. Uh, 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 you know, because to be to be honest with you, uh, you know, for for my money, I think that um, not every program is built for elite talent. And I think that's been the way it's been for a while. But you can see, in, in, in one-and-done caliber players, yeah, you can go to 
wherever you want to go. And I'm not going to admonish anyone for doing that, but we have seen, you know, Anthony Edwards at Georgia, Ben Simmons at LSU, uh, talented guys that aren't playing in the tournament. I, I saw an article, you know, the top five rated players in last year's class, they're not going to they're not going to be in the NCAA double A tournament. Yeah. So you know, yeah. you need to you need to go uh you you need to go where you can be seen. Um having said that Georgia is up twenty to ten on Ole Miss just under nine minutes left in the first half. But we have seen Georgia blow some leads, you know, in the second half. We we've seen that firsthand. So uh, both of these teams are fifteen and sixteen. Uh, starting off the tournament, you know, they know they gotta run a table to even make it. Half of them, you know, are the guys checked out, ready for the season to be over. Edwards already looking forward to the NBA draft. Uh, you had to do for Ole Miss that was good too. Bree, Bree, uh, the little guard. Let's see, Bree. Let me see. Uh, Tyree uh, was another good player too, but just on a team that's struggling. You know, both of these teams, whoever wins the game, will get to sixteen and sixteen, and then you got Vanderbilt, who's usually always playing on the first night. They come on. After this game is over with, uh, but you gotta give it up to Stackhouse. He won not one but a couple SEC games this year after that long streak they went to. So good for him, you know. And did it without his best player, who got hurt. So you know, that's that's positive for Vanderbilt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I think Stackhouse can turn it around. But man, it's just brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, where they well, are. Good for him in his first year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're Lakers now. Um, big weekend. They they had the Bucks last Friday. They had the Clippers this past Sunday. And to be honest, um, you know, playing the good teams, Against those two teams alone, they were 0-3 going into the weekend. So they kind of made a statement. They beat Milwaukee. Then they turned around and beat the Clippers. Got them some good wins against the second-best team in the West, the best team in the East, best record in the league. Um, your thoughts? I know it's just a regular season, but we, you know, as soon as this March Madness is over with, it's, you know, the playoffs are right around the corner. So were you – Glad to see them sweep the weekend. Did you think they'd win them both, or what was your thoughts? I, uh, you know, I was excited. Uh, I, I think at this stage, the the Lakers they can't be caught for the number one seed in the West. So everything is going to go mm-hmm. through Staples. But. Those they're just regular season games, but I think you have to have those opportunities to make a statement. And by LeBron being LeBron and taking on Giannis on Friday, and then taking on uh, Kawhi on Sunday, that that sends a message that these 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 uh, Lakers are are legit. Because here's the thing. 
you can say, oh, Kawhi can balance out LeBron. You can say, oh, Giannis and LeBron, that's a push, you know, with their production. Where it gets tricky is when you look at the number two guy, are you trusting Chris Middleton or Anthony Davis? Are you trusting playoff P. Paul George or Anthony Davis? That's where it comes in. And what was clear is neither the Clippers nor the Bucks have an answer for Anthony Davis. That's true. Now, being real, Anthony, look, and he is Anthony, is Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. And happy with birthday. Me being just a Laker. Yeah. What are you, yeah. What's he, 20, 25 now? 20, 27. Sweet, something like that. 27. Wow. He gets late. He's late 20s now already. Wow. Well, I consider that late 20s. 25, 26 is middle, 27, 28, 29, so that late 20s. That's crazy, he's 27. But he is all world. But, and look, this is just me playing devil's advocate because he wears purple and gold now. Still doesn't have a deep playoff run under his belt. And he did what? They swept Portland with his time as the Pelicans. So he made it to the second round last year, year before last. So he does have that. Um, so he's still still not a ton of playoff games under his belt. Having LeBron there beside him, of course, helps. Who's been through everything and seen it all and done it all? Who you trust more, Paul George? I don't know. George has got more experience, okay. but it's going to be fun. But, the Clippers okay. and Lakers do need to play. Uh, but Anthony, Anthony doesn't have a ton of time experience yet. He just doesn't. He'll get let, it. Let, 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 me put it, let me put it to you this way. LeBron James took Booby Gibson, Larry Hughes, Zarendis Elgaskis, and Sasha Pavlovich to the NBA Finals. Do I think he can win with Anthony Davis? Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Yes. <laughs> I, I told you I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I, I got you. LeBron James got to the NBA Finals with a broken down Kyrie and without a Kevin Love, who, his second best player that he got to the Finals with was J.R. Smith, was option number two. So do I think that LeBron can find a way to get Anthony? Yes, yeah, I do. I do. I understand what you're saying. Anthony Davis himself, his resume in the postseason is light. I get it. But if he's playing with LeBron, I think he's better than those number two options. So, yeah, I, I still feel confident. The Lakers. Because, and I don't know if you watched the game on Sunday against the Clippers, it was supposed to be a Clipper home game. And I say supposed to be. Because they made a big deal. Oh, you know, Lakers, it's, it's you know, L.A.'s 50-50. No, it is not. And I meant to tweet out this. Uh, James Worthy, big game James, is on, you know, one of those Lakers, you know, those daily shows where they talk all Lakers. 
and apparently there's signs that are all up all over Los Angeles with uh, there's uh, Kawhi Leonard and and Paul George and uh, Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harold's all these kinds of things of you know we're tough and we're homegrown and we're blah 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 blah, blah. and it is comical because James Orr is like, are you serious with this? He's like, you know, y'all still cover up the Lakers banners when you play. The only one they don't cover <laughs> up are the Kobe Bryant. Like, they cover up the banners. They cover up the Lakers retired jerseys. They cover it all up. It is not a Clippers town. Stop. Full stop. <laughs> I said, and a lot of Lakers fans are like, look, man, uh, the only tenant in Staples Center to not win a championship is the Clippers. The Sparks won. The Lakers have won. The Kings have won. And the only thing the Clippers have up is the Pacific Division title from the Chris Paul, uh, uh, Blake Griffin run. Rob City, baby. So, call it you know, it would, and, and this is the thing, it would be if Northern Kentucky, they've made it to back-to-back, I think they've made it, what, to the, the, the tournament three out of four years. So it would be like Northern Kentucky saying, oh, you know, this is a North, we, we run the state now. What? Are you, that, that's, that, that's the equivalent. The Clippers have never made it to a conference finals. They've never made it to a conference finals. Ever. The Lakers have 16 world championships and have been to an additional 18 NBA finals. By what stretch is that? Well, I guess this is a 50-50. It's done. It's done. I need to get off that soapbox, but stop. Oh, your contention for the Clippers is hilarious. Oh, and I would be too if I was Lakers fan. I looked like, down at him too, but it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> you know, but you, like, you know, 13 career like, playoff games, Anthony Davis. That's, I'm just saying, 13 career playoff games. That's it. That's all. And I'm saying, Booby Gibson, and like <laughs> <laughs> the, the list, the list of guys that that LeBron has drugged to the NBA Finals. So I I, I see what you're saying, and I don't you know how you think you're about not, to slight Anthony Davis. Come on, man. I got. We look who he plays for. It 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 could be Mashburn, John Wall, nope. MKG. Nope. All nope. of them could be playing for the Lakers, and I can't do it. I'm sorry. I, I love y'all, but see y'all become free agents and leave. I can't. I can't wish for y'all to win a title there for that team. You don't act surprised that I sent you a Go Clippers Sunday. You know good and well I'm pulling for the Clippers. You already knew. That wasn't a shock. <laughs> you act shocked and offended. Vinny, not you too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew you was coming for me, and that's okay. That's, that's okay. Uh, you know, it it, it happened. You know, I, that, that's all right. But uh, I feel good about this Lakers team. Uh, 
right now, like I said, everything's going to go through Staples, the good part of Staples. <laughs> but that, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really bizarre. I think, you know, we're talking about how the NCAA tournament's going to look and different things like that. And I know, you know, we don't know how the NBA will look, you know, after this next couple of days. Things are changing minute by minute. But just think about a seven-game series where there's no travel. Like, you could possibly get the best quality seven-game series because everybody's going home to their own bed. Like, you can keep your – you can keep doing what you're doing. You know, there's no travel. You don't have to worry about hotels. Uh, I I think that's going to be a unique way uh, to do that, and we haven't seen anything like that since 1944. The St. Louis Browns and St. Louis Cardinals played a World Series all in the same, all in the same uh, stadium. So it's been it that happen. we've seen. A, yeah, I just I, I think it would be because they already have their own locker room. So I, I think you don't have to worry about a lot of the things that you see with uh, you know the, especially game four, five, and six, and seven, where these guys have been playing and worried about travel. Like, you can do your own thing. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. It should it take place. Should the Clippers actually reach the conference finals, which we have never seen in the 80 years of the NBA. We have never seen the Clippers in a conference finals. That's true. It is true. Um. What we have seen, just flipping it to high school, is the Sweet 16 in Rep Arena, and the bracket is out for the boys. Elizabethtown, right there, hopping the jump from you, is playing Ashland Blazer next next week. Next Wednesday, starting at 1.30. Madisonville North Hopkins playing Warren Central. Uh, well, they, they play at 12. And then E-Town and Ashland Blazer at one thirty. Ashland Blazers undefeated, coming in with all that pressure, but they haven't lost yet. Uh, definitely trying to keep that rolling. Mock Central from the 13th region, my neck of the woods, right there in Barberville, Barville, is playing Scott County, and Scott County is there every year. Uh, Billy Hicks, also from my neck of the woods, won 50-11 state championships and made the Sweet 16 50-50,011 times at Scott County, but he retired. So this first-year coach at Scott County still got him into the Sweet 16. After, like, starting, they started out, like, 9 and 12, and then he turned them around, and there they are in the Sweet 16 again. McCracken County and George Rogers, George Rogers Clark, Owensboro Catholic and Martin County, Louisville Mail against Collins, Iron Creek, that's your region, right? That's where Seneca's at. Uh, no, uh, Seneca's actually with uh, Mayo. They played Mayo in the regional oh. tournament and lost, okay. but they had a good season. But but Creek okay. is where I live. Fern Creek is where I was born and raised. So I, right now I okay. live probably a mile from the school. So, yeah. So I'm still going to wow. claim Fern okay. Creek a little bit. All right. So Fern Creek is playing Hazard, another mountain team. That's from the, the 14th region right next to where uh, I grew up. And so that's about uh, – well, you got Louisville against the mountains right there. 
Covenant Catholic against West Jefferson. So congratulations to all 16 of those squads. Um, on the, the good season they've had thus far, they all get to play at least one game in Rupp Arena. All have a shot to cut down the nets on the 22nd uh, and become state champions in the state of Kentucky. So I'm still glad they do it that way. Still glad they have a chance for David versus Goliath, even though a lot of the small schools are consolidated. Uh, it's not as much as David as it used to be, but you still get the small towns, consolidated communities against sometimes your big Lexington Louisville schools. Uh, so it's always a fun time. Usually sometimes try to listen to some of them on the radio or uh, keep up with some of the games when they go down uh, at the Sweet 16. So it's always fun. It's crazy that it's already time for that next week. Yeah, I, I root for Goliath. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I, sometimes Goliath got to win. <laughs> well, I mean, you're from Louisville. You're from the big city in the state, the Goliath city in the state. So, yeah. But, like, you got no love for male. Like, the only team in your region, in Seneca's region, is Seneca, right? You ain't root for nobody else but Seneca, but you can also root for Fern Creek since you live there. But you ain't got nothing for male. Is that right? Am I speaking out to her? Yeah, I'm not. No, I don't. I don't root for Mayo. No, no, not at all. You know, that's the. Okay. Uh, I will generally root for most Louisville schools because, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to inside the state, it's Louisville versus everybody. So I will. I will do that. <laughs> but but Mayo, no, I don't. I don't feel good with that. So you. You are pro Louisville except for male. What about Trinity? They good or not? Oh, Trinity and Saint X. Yeah, when it comes to public schools, males on that bad list, and then Trinity and Saint X stay on that list. Okay. Um, Ballard. This was my cousins with the Ballard. What about them? You good Ballard? Nah. Yeah, Ballard. That's Allen Houston. That's. Uh, yeah, I got I've got no problem with uh with Ballard. Uh not at all. Okay. And I don't know all the schools up there. Like like the school Ronda went to, was it Eastern or something? He went to Eastern. Yeah, he went to Eastern, yeah. You good with them? That's like that's like Brando and Corey Peters, right? They both went to Eastern. Yeah. You good with yeah, them? I got no I got no problem with the Eastern. Okay. Um, and you know that's about all I got for Louisville. Well, PRP. Well, I always remember that name too. Got everything. No, PRP had a stretch where they were really good at baseball when I was in school. And they won a couple of state titles, but other than that, you know, there's like 24, 25 public high schools in Louisville yeah. with maybe 10 and private ones, and the, most of them I just forget about. Like you just don't hear anything good or bad about them. <laughs> I just, hmm. you know, okay. And PRP is kind of on um, that list where you're like, oh, yeah, PRP. Or or DOS, where Derek Anderson went, you know, different things like that. Mm-hmm. That's it. The U.K. women, they um, lost to Mississippi State in the uh, women's SEC tournament. They will find out where they're going this weekend in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Mississippi State went on and then lost to 
South Carolina, Don Staley and them continue to kind of be the, the top dogs on the women's side of the conference. Prior to getting beat by Mississippi State, the Kentucky women faced the winner of Tennessee and Missouri, and the Lady Balls won that. And so that was, I think, last Friday. Coming on right on the heels of Kentucky losing to Tennessee and Rupp Arena. Then you had the Kentucky women playing the Lady Vols. So, you know, living down here where I live, I got a text from a friend who is, of course, a fan of the Lady Vols as well as all things Tennessee. And the text just read, this was, yeah, this was Friday, about half an hour before tip-off, before the Lady Vols and Kentucky tipped off in Greenville, South Carolina, the text read, are your women going to have more luck than your men? And 30 minutes later, the game started, and the Lady Vols never led, and the Lady Vols couldn't even keep it close. Kentucky waxed them 86-65, so that was a nice um, you know, palate cleanser for the loss to Tennessee on Tuesday in Rupp Arena to see Matthew Mitchell and company, uh, Ryan Howard and company destroy the Lady Vols like that. Go you know, about Kentucky beating Tennessee. That was, you know, it just goes to show you that. Because I remember for a while there, Tennessee was a gold standard across really just basketball in general. And, you know, I, I want to say that, you know, I felt bad that the women's team isn't what it used to be. I don't really feel bad. I, you know, you know, I'd, you know, pat Summit and all that and give her all the love. But, yeah, I, I like when Kentucky's able to beat up on Tennessee. And if I'm not mistaken, that's only the second time the Kentucky women have beaten them in the SEC tournament. Like last Friday, and then I, if I saw the stat right, like 1982. That's only the second time they've knocked them off in the tournament. Yeah, Tennessee's had enough success. Um, it was good to see the Kentucky women's team jump on them wire to wire. I mean, wasn't even close. Uh, and then the next game, they got up 10 on Mississippi State in the first quarter and just, just kind of ran out of steam. Mississippi State's good, too. They're not South Carolina, but they are probably all got the second spot in the conference locked up all to themselves. I think they even won a title a few years ago as well, even though South Carolina's still running it right now. So uh, Kentucky is recruiting well. You know, we got the treasure hunt coming in to play with Ryan Howard. Uh, they were very solid this year. I think the the women's equivalent of Joe Lenardi, I think his name is Charlie Cream or something like that, he was projecting the Kentucky women to be like a six seed. And well, if that's true, we'll, we'll see what happens and see where they go. But uh, still definitely capable of, of making a good run in the tournament. Yeah, you know, I'm going to root them on. I think they've got a decent shot to be Sweet 16, Elite 8. 
the biggest yeah. thing for, for Coach Mitchell is, you know, he rebounded. There was that time where we thought he was going to be out the door and things were kind of falling down mm-hmm. around him. But, you know, he uh, he played well. I mean, not played well. He, he turned things around. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting elite players. We're uh, competitive. Uh, you know, and, and I don't even think we, we've got this far in the show. We didn't say player of the year, Ryan Howard, who will be back next year. So if that's mm-hmm. not promising for a program, I don't know. I don't know what is. Exactly. Now, we don't talk about them much at all. Kentucky doesn't play them anymore. I haven't played them since 2012. But Indiana, you know, you live right across the bridge. From Indiana, you can be over there in a matter of minutes. What's up with Archie Miller? I mean, you saw him like barking and growling at a player. Then you had his Oscar Grouch trash can comment, Sesame Street rant about Lenardi in his post game press conference. He left Dayton to take the Indiana job, and now Anthony Grant has Dayton rolling. At least for a while, Obi Toppin is there. We'll see what he does after he leaves. But Dayton is seemingly better after he's gone. Kind of like the Mariners got better after A-Rod left. <laughs> What's up with Archie? I mean, he was supposed to be, you know, the next up-and-coming coach that was going to, you know, take his place and, and be one of those guys. And it's just it's just not happening. Well, here's the thing. Indiana Indiana basketball never got into – they never changed. And what I mean by that is if you're going to be an elite program, you have to evolve, right? And that's where when I rank my two top programs ever, I've got Kentucky and North Carolina because – the programs adapted, right? They changed with the times. And the biggest thing about Indiana is they basically wasted five, six seasons after Knight left by pouting about Knight leaving. <laughs> and even though Mike Davis got him to the 2002 championship game, they never embraced Mike Davis. So they were just left still looking for, wanting Bobby Knight. But you can't take yourself out of – like a lot of people think that Alabama football, Kentucky basketball, like you can just – you plug anybody in, they can do that. That's true, but you can't just sit on – your laurels. You have to keep fighting. And even though Indiana uh, spends, uh, they, they spend as much money on recruiting more than anybody else, they're not getting the dudes. Like Indiana is not a program. You know, we can talk about as, as Kentucky fans, oh, you know, these kids coming in, they look up at the banners. That doesn't mean anything to those guys in the big scheme of things, not like it used to, right? Like, 
the guys coming in now that Cal's recruiting, they look up at that 1998 championship banner. That doesn't, that doesn't resonate with them. They don't know the story of Cameron Mill. They don't know how great the 96 team was. These kids are growing up, and if you, uh, you know, they do that 94 feet with, with Jay Billis, these guys are talking about kids that played just a few years ago. You know, I think it was quickly. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I love, you know, Anthony Davis. Like, what? Like, when I was growing up, you know, those are guys I looked up to, and I'm like, what? So that doesn't resonate. So long story short, uh, Indiana is just floundering. They tried Kelvin Sampson. That didn't work. Tom Cream, that didn't work. And now they're to Archie Miller. And here's the biggest change that Archie Miller's got to understand is you're not at Dayton anymore. Like you're, you're, you're just not. And I think that was a, a, a change that Billy Gillespie didn't adapt to either. Uh, the things you can do at Texas A&M, they don't fly. And you may be a darling for a great run at Dayton, you know, getting that 20-win season like we talked about earlier. At Dayton, woohoo! 20-win season at Texas A&M, woo-hoo! That, that's not going to get it. 20 wins will get you fired in Lexington and will get your seat hot uh, in Bloomington. So, yeah, you know, his whole – his revelation of, you know, when I was at Dayton, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah. But now you're not. Now you're at you're at the big boy table, and you and you've got to deal with that. And I don't know how Indiana gets back to being uh, elite. I I don't know how they they navigate that way back to an elite it program. Uh, they've tried different coaches. They've tried different things. But I I I think. It's one of those things, if you don't lose it, use it, you lose it. Like Nebraska, Nebraska football. You know, up until, you know, the 90s when you and I were growing up, Nebraska football meant something, right? When when uh, uh, Tom Osborne was there, it was – you knew what you were getting with Nebraska. And they've been in complete disarray ever since. You know, yeah. whereas with Kentucky, we've adapted. You know, and and, and 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 we've changed. And Kentucky's still one of the it programs, which I'm glad for because probably one more season or two more seasons of Billy Gillespie, and we would be Indiana. Like if we did not, if we let Gillespie stay two more seasons, miss out on Cal, and have to get whoever else, then you're in that spiral of trying to trying to get a, the right coach in and try. Then it's lost. Then it's absolutely lost. Which I'm glad that that Mitch Barnhart, the powers of the beast, said, "Okay, this isn't working. You got to go, Billy G." And we brought in Cal. Uh, that that's that's worked out. You said that Indiana spent five or six years pouting after they fired Bobby Knight, and prior to that, they probably spent five or six years procrastinating firing Bobby Knight. You know, because it was, I mean, this was, you know, he stayed another three years after the whole choking Neil Reed incident. That was 97, and they didn't, he didn't get relieved of his duties until 2000. 
So they were dragging their feet on making a move on Bobby. I mean, he's a legend and, and all that. And they were more oblivious to all of his shenanigans than everybody else. But, you know, he hadn't won a title since 87. You know, 70, 76, 81, 87. So he's 13 years removed from the title when he's finally shown the door. And still acting the same, you know, being the same jerk as when he was winning. And they just put up with it for 10, 12 years. So they, like you said, they could they could have nipped it five or six years by making a move sooner, which maybe would have helped. And then, like you said, after they did fire him, they pouted because they fired him. <laughs> and they've just been trying to catch up ever since. And, and, and you know, I, I, I want to have sympathy for Indiana fans, but I can't because of the Watford shot and how that's become just a thing. And it's, a, it's embarrassing. It's beneath them. It is it's gross because I watched Robert Morris the other night, right? What they were hosting their whatever their conference is, and it's not even a thing they beat Kentucky in the postseason. Like it's not a it's it's not a thing. You know Evansville this year. Evansville doesn't have a trophy in the trophy case for beating Kentucky this year. I just thought that was just beneath what Indiana is. And latching on to that mm-hmm. shot, it's, it's you know, it's pathetic. I'll, I'll, I'll just put it out there. Because, and I had a conversation with an Indiana fan. I talked about uh, the, uh, the LSU team that had Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Adouarou down. Uh, Shaq and Stanley mm-hmm. Robbins, a loaded and and folks from Oscar Combs and and anybody that remembers Kentucky basketball that time will tell you, Kentucky beating that team was a huge game. You know, coming off probation, all everything that went into it, Kentucky was back on the map. But there's no there's there's no signage. There's no you know there's no popcorn box for that kind of thing. And, you know, I go back and forth with should should Kentucky and Indiana play. And, you know, I say no. Absolutely not. I, 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 don't, I don't see that being a, a benefit to, to Kentucky to play to Indiana. You know, a lot of people say, well, you should play them so we can beat them. I don't even want to play them. You know, that's why when, when uh, it was announced that Kentucky was going to play Michigan and uh, in London, I said, that's great. Let's play all the Big Ten schools in various countries around the world. Kentucky versus Minnesota from Toronto. You know, Kentucky versus Wisconsin in Belize. Kentucky and Michigan State, you know, in Puerto Rico. Like, let's just make it a thing. We play, you know, we play Ohio State in Vegas. Like, let's just do that, play a ball, except – Except for Indiana, I'm okay with that. I am definitely okay with that. And I'm, I was kind of switched. I used to, and I don't know maybe because the more time goes by, I used to still 
want to have that, you know, you know, back in the day. We played Indiana, you played Louisville, you played North Carolina every year. Uh, and I always threw in Tennessee twice. So if you you know, you win those five games, you pretty much know you're gonna have a good season. Uh, but now it it's, it it just doesn't matter because they're not relevant. Uh, it is beneath them to just still hang well. It is it is pathetic that they cling to Watford. It's beneath them, but that's all they got. What have they had since then? That doesn't make it right that they cling to it. But <laughs> what's gone their way since then? You know, play Kentucky in the tournament later that year and lost. Um, and like you said, it's just floundering. Um, it is beneath them that they do that. They are Indiana. They are. They they. I mean, you, you still put them as a blue blood, even though Knight won all the titles. You know, they were mentioned in that conversation. Um, Davis took them to the title game. But they were one of those traditional teams. You mentioned them, you know, Louisville, Indiana, you know, uh, you know, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, UCLA, North Carolina, all that. But Louisville and Indiana was in that mix. But they got uh, going on a decade of just, just nothing. And and like I said, they had won a title since 87, which is a year after Louisville's last one that they can still hang a banner with. So, you know. <laughs> you and I were nine years old. We were nine when Indiana last won a title. Key Smart had to bail them out to get that. <laughs> and it was a, it was the first time that was another one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first, yeah. the first year of the three-point shot. So, you know, Indiana, and like I said, a lot of words just say Archie Miller, like you've got to, you got to figure it out because um, – mm-hmm. Indiana has just been so bad for so long. And, and really, it's not even that Indiana is bad. It's just that they're mediocre. Yeah. They're, they're mediocre. And they've got all these bad losses. Teams aren't scared. To, like, Indiana used to be one of those teams that if they showed up in East Lansing or in uh, West Lafayette or in Columbus, okay, Indiana's coming to town. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, I was not scared of Indiana. You know, you you look at all these other uh, uh, teams, they're not scared. And say what you will, and, and a lot of people have about the Evansville loss and losing to Utah. All that being said, Kentucky still wins the SEC. Indiana hasn't won the Big Ten championship in, like, forever. And under Bob Knight, that used to be a pretty routine thing. You talk about, you know, they won in '87. They didn't get rid of them two years, later. but they were still competitive in the in the uh, Big Ten. You know, they still had Calvin yeah. Chaney and those guys uh, that were very, very competitive. And you know, those early '90s games in the RCA Dome and uh, in yeah. Freedom Hall against Kentucky, those are great games. But since then, it's just not. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's just <laughs> not what it used to be. So. Uh, I don't. I don't feel too bad for them. It's Indiana. It's something yeah, no, that no. UK and U of L fans can unite uh, uh, with. And you said he needs to figure it out, which he does. But he's looking like a guy that's feeling the pressure, so that's going to make figuring it out that much harder. But that's Absolutely. that's their problem. <laughs> 
Man, this fun two hours have flown by. Updates galore. We'll continue. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. Uh, we hit the COVID-19 concerns, and then we got to talk with some cats, and then we got to talk with the great Michael Eves. Thanks to him for taking time to join us. Uh, appreciate Benny calling in as well. Uh, stay safe in all your comings and goings and moving around up in your neck of the woods, and everybody else do the same as well. Just use common sense and use precaution and uh, see if everybody can just kind of make it through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael Lee. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Let's get ready for a deep tournament run. Next week we'll be previewing the – hopefully uh, they'll still be participating in the uh, in the NCAA tournament, but we'll definitely go, go from there. Absolutely. And this, these changes also affected – and I can't – you can't blame them at all. Uh, Selection Sunday at Cal's house. Got the email, so they're just going to do like a presser at Memorial Coliseum whenever they get back from Nashville if they play till Sunday. So not going to be the traditional meeting at Cal's house. So I'll have to wait another year for that. Maybe could, you know can do it next year if it happens. So, uh, but I ain't mad at Ellen and Cal at all <laughs> for, for not having the throngs of people up in the house like they usually do. So. Uh, yeah, that change, in addition to all the other changes we talked about, did take place. So, uh, maybe next year, as they say. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. Maybe next year both of us will be there to, to hang out and everything. But uh, have a great week. We'll do it again next week, man. Absolutely. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate our guest, Michael Ease. Appreciate Benny for calling. Another episode of Cat's Talk Wednesday. Brown and Hyde Radio Network, blogcomradio.com. Be sure to next week. Catch the podcast wherever you get your podcast.